again, lopsided, I think. Just That's good. We're continuing our series on the names of God. Have you ever had a difficult test to write? I'm <laughs> sure that, uh, yep, yeah, I've had a difficult test. It hasn't stopped. It's still going. Yeah, a di- difficult test. Whether it's, a, you know, your, for your driver's license, some of you young people, <laughs> driver's license. Um, it, does it take more than one try? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it does. So difficult tests to write, right? Subject, you weren't very good in high school. I was, um, it, I, science wasn't my strong thing. There was a lot of memorizing and chemistry, and so I did need a science to graduate. And so I, I kind of dropped chemistry, but I really liked physics. But, it, you know, you could, physics it was cause and effect, and you could do things with physics, and I, I enjoyed it. However, the, apparently the teacher didn't enjoy me. Um, when my grade 12 physics, I remember... I, I, I couldn't believe the nerve. I, I mean, I did my best as a student, and I really did. And he gave me forty-two percent, which is, you know, it's a fail. Forty-two <laughs> percent. However, my reprieve was that that was only fifty percent of my mark, because the other fifty percent of the mark was a. Det- departmental exam uh, that the province would uh, send out for me to do and to see if I knew my physics. Well, I got 82% on that. Can you figure <laughs> figure that out? There's, yeah, okay, tough, tough exam. But uh, so I ended up with 62%, which is a pass. Tough exam, man. University subjects sometimes uh, some subjects you need to take uh, in order to get your degree or what, whatever you're going for. And it's not your favorite subject. And it, you don't even know how it applies to real life. It's all this mumbo jumbo they're coming up with these days. And it's just tough. And you can't even write what you want to write. You have to write what they want to hear. That's not right. That, there's something wrong with our education system when they're forcing you to think and believe in a certain way. There's something wrong with our education system. Maybe you've heard this quote, God doesn't give the hardest battles to his toughest soldiers. He creates his toughest soldiers out of life's hardest, hardest battles. One of the things that amazes me in the Bible is the amount of times, times God tests those that he loves. We see that over and over in the Word of God. The word test in the Old Testament and the New Testament means the same thing. It's to prove by trial. To prove by trial. And some of you, again, are thinking, it doesn't end. I'm still in my trial. It's reasonable to conclude then that the testing has the purpose of proving that something is genuine. That you that you that there's a there's a passing grade that's expected, a genuine that and, and certainly Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
were tested in Daniel chapter 3, would they remain committed to their faithful God? Would they be faithful to God or out of concern for their own lives, would they bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made? Right? Would they trust God? Even if it meant death. I love how they reacted. O king, let it be known <laughs> that our God can save us. But if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Right? Love their faith. They, they, they were tested and they passed the test with flying colors. Even Jesus was tested after his baptism and he was found to be genuine. He was led out into the wilderness for 40 days and was tested severely. Satan and Satan is a, such a deceiver and a liar. He even used God's word to test Jesus, twisting it, taking it out of context, and giving it different meaning and different strengths. And Jesus said, nah, "No, no." And Jesus would would correct him, and Jesus was genuine. From the article, from an article, why does God ask us to do hard things? By um, Cindy McMinimum. <laughs> okay, I got that one out. You know, you've asked yourself and others these questions. If God loves me, why doesn't He change this? If God does, if God can do all things, why doesn't He fix this? What is God's purpose in allowing me to go through this hardship? Right? It's in our nature to want the reasoning behind the difficulties we experience. We want to know why. There's got to be a reason why we're experiencing difficulties. We look and long for a lesson within the pain, a redemptive purpose, and a gradual resolution, sometimes not so gradual. <laughs> Cindy McMinimum says it's in our nature to want there to be some sort of redemptive purpose. And biblically, biblically speaking, there always is a redemptive purpose for the testing that we go through. For the testings. There's a reason. God has a reason for it. Now, I, I know this isn't the most popular response. <laughs> and it, it's certainly from a, from a human perspective. And even some... Churches won't preach this. But James says, count it all joy, the half-brother of Jesus, right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Peter says the same thing. Peter says, now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's testing your faith. Now, in our text this morning, we're going to find out that God put Abraham to the test. I can't even imagine what it must have been like for him to even be asked to do this test. Like, it's way out of our 
like and it's still i'm going wow really god asked abraham to do this it, and it, it, I don't have an answer. I really don't have a solid answer. But let, let's read the text. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read through to verse um, 18. So starting at verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. So we're straight out told. In the first verse, that this was a test. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. I'll tell you what I would say. Who is this? <laughs> Who is this? Come out. Show yourself. Quit messing around with me. What? Take my son and sacrifice him? So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. Was Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine? Can you imagine that conversation? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. And then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and he laid him on the altar of wood. Upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here am I. I don't know if it was quite like that. I'm still here, God. <laughs> yeah. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a, man, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns and so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the, land, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. <clears throat> wow. Five things I want to talk about. The test, the journey, the altar, the substitute, and the name. The test, the journey, the altar, the substitute, and the name. Well, first of all, the test. Schofield points out that Abraham's life has been marked by four great crises. Uh, each involving surrender of something he held most dear. Uh, four tests. Great tests. First of all, uh, Abraham was asked out of nowhere to leave his country, to leave his friends, his neighbors, his family, to leave. Just pick up and leave and go. And I'll show you someplace, Abraham. And he believed God. And he, and he left. And then... And then there was another test where, where Lot, his nephew, had come with him on this journey. And Lot um, had, th there was some infighting in the family. Lot's, you know, I'm with Lot and I'm with Abraham. And, and they were going and, and they were fighting over pasture and land and everything. And so Abraham said, you know, let's, let's, let, let's not do this anymore. This was kind of a test, Right. And he said, Lot, you, you, you pick what you want and I'll take the rest. And so Lot picked the choicest area, right? And Abraham lived on the other area. That was a test. And then the third test was his son by Hagar, Ishmael. And, it, and I don't know if he... And, and this is... The test was is that Abraham had to let Ishmael go. Right? There came a point where he had to let him go. And, and because Ishmael was not the son of promise. And so he had to let Ishmael go. Now Paul uses that about letting the, you know, casting out the bondwoman, which is kind of, the, we, we can't live by the law. It's by grace. By grace we're saved. It's faith because nobody can boast about working for their salvation right and so cast out the bondwoman it's the the we can't live by the law the law the law told us the law tells us that we need a savior that's what the law did for us it, the law the law let us know that we weren't perfect and we were never perfect and we couldn't be perfect and we couldn't keep the law we needed a savior and so that was the purpose of the law and so uh, that was a test. Abraham passed that. Probably difficulty. Uh, difficultly. Uh, then, now the son of promise. This is the fourth big test. Take your son and, and sacrifice him. I have to say that this, again, is one of the most difficult passages. It's not only difficult for Abraham, but it's difficult for us to understand why in the world God would ask Abraham to do this. Even though, like, in, like, from our vantage point, Abraham didn't know this. Abraham 
didn't know it was a test. Um, God didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to test you. Right? Uh, he didn't say that. He just told them what to do. From, but from our vantage point, when Moses wrote the first five books here, we're told exactly that this was a test. That, that God was testing Abraham with this. Now, the, the interesting thing is, God hated child sacrifice. All the nations around were involved. Some of the nations would sacrifice their, their children. They would burn them alive. And it was detestable to God. That's why God wanted Israel, when the children of Israel came into the land of promise, He wanted them, He wanted certain people groups destroyed because this is what they were all about. This is what they did. God hated that. And yet here, and so this is the, hard, the very difficult thing for us to understand. Why would God ask Abraham to do that? Well, it was a test. And we have the advantage of knowing that it was a test. But of course, Abraham didn't know. I want you to notice the language that God uses. Now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Does that remind you of anything? Doesn't that remind you of something? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. This wasn't only a, 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 a test. It was so much more than a test. This is a, this is a revelation of what, how God loves us and what He's going to do for us. This is a revelation. It's way more than a test. You might be interested to know that this is the first mention of the word love in the Bible. The son that you love. It's the first time that love is mentioned. God's love is sacrificial, isn't it? God's love is sacrificial. Have you ever wondered how Abraham got by his wife Sarah? I've been thinking about this like, man, like, Sarah would not have let Abraham do this or go, or she would have talked him out of it. I mean, Sarah's talked him into other things in the past. I mean, if she knew about this, well, here's a, I mean, I would have loved to hear the conversation. Or maybe the reason Abraham got up so early in the morning was because Sarah was still sleeping, and he just kind of left her a note, and, and he said, hey, honey buns. Um, <laughs> you look so beautiful when you're sleeping. <laughs> I I didn't want to wake you. God sent me on an errand. Um, me and the boy, we're going to be gone for a few days. Love you. And he left early in the morning before Sarah could talk him out of anything. The writer to the, to the Hebrews shed some light on why Abraham responded the way he did. Now, in my mind, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, like I know this is—it's only two verses here, and it says, and then you know, this is what God desired or required of Abraham, and then he left early in the morning, and I'm thinking, man, if it was written out, you know, what actually Abraham went through, do you think he had a season? Do you think he slept that night? I don't know if he—I wouldn't sleep. I. Like Abraham, I don't think he slept. I think he struggled all night with this thing that God was requiring of him. And, and 
I mean, it was a test and it wasn't easy. And he's struggling and he's praying. He said, God, what do I do? I can't do this, God. You want me to trust you? I've trusted you all my life. and But this? It doesn't make any sense to me, God. He would have struggled. I'm sure he would have struggled all night. We have just two verses and then he gets up early in the morning. And so we don't... we. We don't hear all of that, but I'm sure it happened. But the book of Hebrews sheds some light why Abraham responded finally the way he did. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. That's how it starts out. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, now listen to this, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. In a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And so, that's Hebrews 11, 17-19. And so this is, this is the insight from the book of Hebrews, is that Abraham responded the way he did, because he felt that if he, if he was obedient to what God was asking him to do, that God would raise him up again, bring him back to life. You, you, know, you know what? Sometimes we, we pray and we reason and we want to know why and we ask God the tough, difficult questions. But why is this happening in my life? And then, and, and then we think that, that it should go this way and it's not going this way and it's not working out the way we think it should work out. But God has another plan. You see, God, if, if Abraham had prayed, uh, maybe he had peace about this, that God would raise my son up. You know, God, you will raise my son up. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put a knife in him, but you're going to raise him up. You're going to raise him up. And, and that's maybe how Abraham prayed. And, and, and as he's going along, God, raise my son up. Raise my son up. Maybe he didn't stop praying. But that's not what happened. God didn't raise his son up. There was a substitute for his son. As a matter of fact, his son is still not raised up. He's waiting for that day when Jesus raises all of us up. The dead in Christ shall rise. And the, the, the Old Testament saints, all those that knew God, they will, I mean, all, they will all be raised to face judgment. And so Isaac is still not raised up. But he will be. I mean, God promised. I mean, that, what was Abraham's reasoning? God promised and God always keeps His promises. And so Abraham's timing was just a little bit of, a little bit off maybe for the, Isaac being raised up. He wasn't wrong exactly. God would raise him up. But not for another few thousand years. What about the journey? There are a couple of things I want to point out about the journey. First, Abraham acted immediately. There's no hesitation. Just like he left his homeland many years ago. Again, Abraham didn't know exactly where he was going, but he trusted God. One of the mountains of which I will tell you is what God told him. He acted on the Word of God 
as it was revealed to him. You know, many believers talk themselves out of obeying God because they don't have everything. They don't see the big picture. They only see a little bit. But God wants you to trust him. He'll give you a little bit. And when you trust him with a little bit, and then you'll see more. Right? God wants you to trust him. And so Abraham doesn't, doesn't know exactly the exact mountain that he's supposed to go. He knows the area. God says, go that way. And Abraham obeyed immediately. He acted immediately. And so some people talk themselves out of obedience because they don't know the complete will of God. And I would say that's hogwash. Do what you know what you should do. Do what you know is right. Act on the truth that you have. And as they say, a ship that is powered by the wind won't move in any direction unless you set the sails. And so just because you don't know the direction you're supposed to go, set your sails and then you can steer it. Trust God. Second, Abraham didn't let go. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Abraham didn't let his, his age deter him. Do you know that Abraham was probably 120 years old at this point? 115 to 120, I'm guessing. 115 years old. And God wants them to take, take this journey. At this point, I mean, in verse 5, where he tells his young men, <laughs> he tells his young men to wait until they come back. I've got to wonder, in the context, uh, a young man at, at that time, uh, according to Abraham, might be 70 years old. Hey, there's hope for me. Abraham, I could be Abraham's young man. The point is, don't let age, economic stress, health challenges, or anything else keep you from following the Lord wherever He may lead you. Age should not deter you. Health should not deter you. Finances should not deter you. Do what God asks you to do. And do it immediately. Third, God has a very specific place in mind. Uh, 1,800 years before Jesus, Abraham was being sent to the land of Moriah. Why is this why, why such a specific location? Why, why this land of Moriah? God's prophetic design shows incredible significance. There's revelation here too. A thousand years before Jesus, David bought a threshing floor and built an altar there to sacrifice to the Lord. The owner offered it for free, but David said, no, 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 no. I will not sacrifice to the Lord on something or with something that costs me nothing. If I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord, it's going to cost me something. And so he paid him for the land, for the threshing floor. And then after David's death, his son Solomon Solomon began building a temple. The first temple. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Where the Lord had appeared to David his father, the temple was built on the threshing floor 
of Aruna, the Jezebite, and the site that David had selected. That's 2 Chronicles 3.1. And then came Jesus to the area of Moriah. Do you, do you get what I'm saying here? Where, where is Moriah? Where is the area of Moriah? God was sending Abraham to Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem. Why? Why there? You know, the Celtics, they say there are thin places. It's where the Spirit of God and, and man can meet. That, that, that heaven and earth, somehow there's an intersect. Or that the, that the divide is thin there. And so if, if, if there's something spiritual is going to happen, it's going to be at one of these thin places. Well, Jerusalem is that for sure. And, and so on Mount Moriah is where the temple was built. That's where all the sacrifices that, that pointed to Jesus Christ being our sacrifice. That's where all of that happened. But you know what else is in Jerusalem or just outside the city? And, and, and this is significant. And I think because it, it's the area of Moriah but it's a mountain that God would show you. Do you know what I personally think? I think that Abraham went to Calvary. I think he went to Calvary. That God chose to take him to the place that Jesus would die a few thousand years later. I, I, it's just incredible. That's why Abraham was sent to this place. Calvary. I really believe that. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. So then the fourth thing I want to say that Isaac went willingly. This is, this is the incredible thing. Isaac, we're guessing here that he's between the ages of 15 and 20 perhaps. Um, we're only guessing he's old enough to realize that his father had prepared with, come prepared with, you know, he's got a knife and some wooden fire, but there's no sacrifice. Dad, what's going on? No lamb for the sacrifice. Can you imagine that question? It must have been really cutting to Abraham's heart. But Abraham explained, and then the two of them went together. The next verse says that Abraham built the altar and laid everything in order and bound his son. Some suggest that, you know, um, he was... <laughs> That, that his son was carrying the wood and that he just like just <laughs> but but the bible says that abraham placed the wood carefully and then he bound his son and so i go with that and so what how i can read that i mean think about just think about this if he's 15 to 20 years old and he's and he's really concerned about his own life and, and abraham's 120 years old I said, hey, Dad, I can take you. Like, don't mess around with me, right? <laughs> I mean, how many, how many uh, teenagers want to take their dads, right? And they're not 120 years old. They're like maybe 40. And they want to, they, they challenge their dad, right? But here's the thing. That he went willingly and just, and, and as... Uh, Isaac 
saw Abraham's faith and obedience, so Isaac's faith and obedience fell in line with his dad's. And so we had a willing sacrifice in the son. Doesn't that ring a bell? A willing sacrifice in the father's son. And again, we're going to Calvary. That It's just beautiful. Living out your faith before your children is so important. And way more important than children, uh, th than most uh, parents realize. You, it, parents, you need to live out your faith before your children. They won't get it unless you do. It's real when they see it in their parents. It's real. It becomes real. What, what is precious to you will be precious to your children. Your priorities will become your children's priorities. If it's not a relationship with God, then there's a good chance you've condemned your child to a life of disbelief and eventually hell. The altar. The altar is any structure upon which offerings such as sacrifices are made for religious purposes. It was usually a raised platform with a flat surface. There are over 400 references to altars in the Bible. An altar always represented a place of consecration. The first place an altar is mentioned in the Bible is after the flood. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took a very clean animal and a very clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. That's Genesis chapter 8, 20 and 21. That may have been the first mention by name, but in chapter 4, altars are implied when Cain and Abel brought their offerings to the Lord. And um, you know, this I got from uh, gotquestions.org. We read this. In the broadest sense, an altar is merely a designated place where a person consecrates himself to someone or something. Many church buildings have altars for prayer, communion, weddings, and other sacred purposes. Some Christians create their own altars for personal worship as visible reminders of Romans 12.1, which says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Every human heart has an invisible altar where the war between the flesh and the spirit rages. When we surrender areas of our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit, we are in effect laying that area on the altar before God. It can help to visualize Abraham's altar where he offered his son Isaac to the Lord, Genesis 22.9. We can ask the Lord what areas of our lives he is requiring that we offer to him. We can symbolically lay that on the altar and let go. We don't need a flat top surface. We can surrender our lives to God on the altar of our hearts at any time. 
Abraham is laying his son on the altar and he lifts his knife, both in complete surrender to the Lord. Number four, substitute. The substitute. Definition of substitute, a person or thing acting or serving in place of another. From the beginning, God has made it clear that a blood sacrifice would be required to cover man's sin. A blood sacrifice. Blood is required. God shed innocent blood to clothe Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve, when they'd sinned, you know what they did? They, 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 they pulled some fig leaves and they, they made these, you know, Hawaiian-like type things there and running around in the bush. God said, no, that's not sufficient. And God, it, it says God supplied animal skins, right? What happened to the animals? The innocent had to die for the guilty. The innocent had to die for the guilty. Blood was shed for the guilty. Innocent blood was shed for the guilty. Cain and Abel. Cain offered the fruit of the ground, which was cursed, by the way. And Abel offered the firstborn of his flock. Blood was shed. The innocent, again, substitute for the guilty. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, Hebrews 9.22 says. At the same time, Hebrews 10.4 makes it clear that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What is needed is a substitute. Abraham thought he, had, Abraham thought he needed a resurrection. Abraham wasn't completely wrong again. Uh, his timing was off, maybe 4,000 years. What Abraham really needed was a substitute. And whose voice echoes from heaven? The angel of the Lord. And you know, again, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, according to Revelation 13.8. He is our substitute. And that's who calls out from heaven the person that would voluntarily take our place on Calvary. And so the angel of the Lord, the messenger of Jehovah or Yahweh, fully God, presents Abraham from harming, uh, prevents Abraham from harming his son. Abraham has passed the test. What was the test exactly? Well, is God first place in your life? God, is He first place in your life? That was the test. God is ahead of family. God is ahead of everything. Is God first place in your life? Do you trust God completely? Is God above His blessing? We sometimes sing, Open up the sky by deluge. I love the chorus. Open up the sky. Fall down like rain. We don't want blessings. We want You. Open up the sky. Fall down like fire. We don't want anything but You. I love that song. 
And you've heard me tell it before where the first time I heard that song was in British Columbia. And I wept. Because there are so many believers, they want God's blessings. They want God's blessings, but they don't want God. They want God's blessings. It's wrong. We God first. God first. Abraham passed the test. Now I know that you fear God. Oh, that God could look down from heaven and see what kind of blessings or activities we're prepared to let go of on the altar of our hearts and say, God, all I need is You. You're all I need. You're all I want. So then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. So at this point, I'm sure as Abraham hears the voice of God, the angel of the Lord from heaven, and he's lifting up his son, uh, uh, lifting up his knife, and he's ready to slay his son, and he hears that voice. I'm sure he's, and he hears this voice and says, Abraham, don't harm your son. I'm sure he just, he just lost it. I'm sure he just started to weep and, and just uncontrollably his emotion getting the best of him, just weeping as he has this moment with God. And then as he lifts up his eyes after he could finally, you know, wipe his eyes, you know, with his sleeves, what guys do, you know. We don't need Kleenex. Abraham saw. And, and they, I mean, he was absolutely overwhelmed. I mean, his emotions, he was uh, the relief, joy, thanksgiving, fear, all wrapped up into one emotional outburst. Perhaps Abraham heard something behind him. And so that's when he lifted up his eyes. He maybe heard a rustling in the bush. And through his tear-filled eyes, he could see that God had provided exactly what he needed. A substitute. Well, let's look at the name. Then Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. The name. It's a place. But it's also a person. But it's also a promise. It's a place, a person, and a promise. This is Jehovah Jireh. Many of the remaining names we're looking at uh, after this Sunday uh, connect with Jehovah. The, the, the name Jehovah. The great I Am. No beginning, no end. The eternal one, the almighty promise keeper. He's connected at this point with providing. Providing. Not necessarily what we want, because Abraham wanted a resurrection. He didn't get a resurrection. He got a substitute, which was better. Better for all of us. Right? Now, it's interesting what then um, this, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. By myself, I have sworn. Okay, when a witness appears in court, they are asked, at least they used to be asked, to swear in a Bible, to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, the whole truth and all of that stuff, right? 
they are declaring that they will say what they say is truthful. That they are a good witness. God is making an oath here. God is making a promise. And when you make an oath, you're making a solemn promise, even often evoking, invoking a divine witness regarding one's future actions or behavior. God is swearing on himself, by himself, using himself, because there's no one higher than God. God he's swearing on himself. He's his own divine witness because there's no one greater than God. The, the contents of this oath, this promise to Abraham, is to repeat. It is a repeat of some of the things that he's already been promised before. And so now God swears an oath, which is added to the covenant he made with Adam, uh, I mean with Abraham, when he walked through the two sacri the, the sacrifice that was cut in half, only God walked through there, indicating that it wasn't depending on Adam's behavior or Israel's behavior, uh, to, their ability to obey, but it was depending on God alone, God's faithfulness. And so, and now we have an oath on top of that. I will bless you, was the first thing. Now I will grow you to more than you can count, was the second thing. You will capture and control your enemy, entering the promised land. They sure did that. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You know who that is, right? His name is Jesus. And it's Jesus right here talking to Abraham. And he's saying, you know what? One day I'm going to come in person through your line and the whole world will be blessed because you've been obedient. And so there's um, Abraham returned. Can you imagine the conversation uh, with Sarah when they got home? Abraham would try to tell all of the details, but Isaac was so excited because he experienced God in a fresh and new way. And Isaac probably just, just was so excited to tell his mom everything that happened. And I could, I could see Sarah giving Abraham the evil eye. You know, you did what? There's a phrase that is used twice. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and he saw. Abraham lifted his eyes. Do you know that, do you know God is your provider? And now you might be thinking, well, I, you know, I've, I've asked for a new car. <laughs> I've asked for, you know, better health. And, and all of those things, I'm, they might be okay. But, you know, there's one thing that God has provided through this that is far above and beyond anything else. And it's the only thing that really matters. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Pastor Doug, but I have unpaid bills and I have an old vehicle that needs repair, kids that need better stuff, better health, a better life, a better purpose. I'm going to say this. God is also El Roy. He sees. He sees you. God is El Roy. He knows. But that's not what this is about. God has provided far more for you and I 
than we deserve. Far more. It's just enormous. I mean, nothing, nothing else matters in comparison. Abraham had it right. Prophetically, he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And 2,000 years ago, he took on human flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And then he died on the cross. Then he rose again, victorious. Light, uh, death is defeated, and we have salvation if we would receive it. Oh, that we would lift our eyes up and see. Oh, that we would lift our eyes and see that Jesus is all that matters. Since my eyes were fixed on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchained my spirit's vision looking at the crucified. All for Jesus. All for Jesus looking at the crucified. All for Jesus. All for Jesus looking at the crucified. Oh, what wonder, how amazing Jesus, glorious King of kings, deigns to call me His beloved. Let's me rest beneath his ring, wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. Looking at the crucified. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. Looking at the crucified. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Moriah, for, for, for the, this test and this revelation that was given to Abraham. We thank you that he passed that test and we thank you that you have made an oath and a promise. And... And, and Lord, you keep your promises. You are Jehovah Jireh. You have provided salvation for us. We were lost. We were hopeless. We only have hope in you. And we only have life in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.